Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall and I have two co-hosts with me today. Bruce is usually on the show along with me. Bruce Weiner, good morning. Good morning, Rachel. And we also have Riley Smith on the show. Good morning, Riley. Good morning. We have seen both of these faces before and they are both advisors with the Money Advantage. And the reason that we are all coming together for this conversation today is that velocity banking versus infinite banking. This is a really big question on so many people's minds and you guys are hearing it in our client meetings. We're getting YouTube questions about this. We have people emailing us and asking us these questions and we thought it would be best to go ahead and really bring this completely out in the open and talk about what is the difference between velocity banking and infinite banking, which is better and what is the premise behind each and which puts you in a better position of control. So I hope that you'll stay with us today on this show. Now, the first thing that we want to talk about is what is velocity banking? Do you guys want to share a little bit about what your thoughts are about what is velocity banking? Well, I think the... um Velocity banking is the most popular term that's used, but there's, a, there's other uh, terms that are used out there. Just like the infinite banking system, there's a lot of terms that are used out there. Um, the private wealth system, um, uh, bank on yourself, you know, there's a lot of different things. Velocity banking is just kind of like the, the most popular term that's used. There's other terms, but basically it's, it's um, paying your mortgage off as quickly as possible and setting up your financial world so that you can do that as quickly as possible. Um, and there's and velocity banking just so happens has a cash flow system that they, they actually use to do that. And then uh, these other systems would also have systems to do that also. But it's, but in a nutshell, it's just simply pay your mortgage, your 30 year mortgage off as quickly as possible. And essentially what's happening behind that is this idea of using a line of credit or more specifically a HELOC and even more specifically could be usually a first position or first lien HELOC to pay off your house as quickly as possible. In some cases, they'll say as quickly as five to seven years. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Rach, uh, that is true, except I I do believe there are velocity banking people that will also say you can use a 0% credit card. Mm-hmm. And there are also some that would say, because people challenge them on it, they will say, well, I can't get a 0% credit card for more than a, a, a year, and I can't get a HELOC necessarily. They would say you can also just do it from your savings account. So, so they're in the, what it encompasses of, yes, the HELOC is the most popular way of doing it, but I just wanted to interrupt you, uh, and I'm sorry I did that, but I'm going to interrupt me real quickly. The HELOC's the most popular, but just in case somebody's listening and say, oh, no, you can do it with a, a 0% credit card or you can do it out of your savings account. All those are true. We're going to talk about mainly the most popular way. So go, go ahead on that. Right. 
Yeah. And Bruce, I really appreciate that clarification. And I think even more important, if you're coming into this conversation right now, and maybe you're saying, I've never even heard of velocity banking. What in the world is this even about? You guys are talking about the strategy or the tactic. We just want to lay that out so that we can all be on the same page of what we're talking about. However, the purpose of this would be for somebody who says, you know, I really want to pay off my house as quickly as possible. I want to pay as little interest as possible. I want to find a way to build up equity or cash value or some type of savings thing somewhere so that I have cash that I can access. And oh, interestingly enough, my house must be a great investment and I can do this in the equity of my own house. And oh, by the way, I already have equity in my house. So why not use that? So that is really the angle or the attractiveness, the lure, the, um, the hook, if you will, for why velocity banking is this thing that people are turning to and looking for because those are some of the reasons or the, um, the things that they want to accomplish. Paying off debt quickly, saving on interest, and being out of debt as quickly as possible. You guys have anything else you want to add about the reason why velocity banking is even an attraction? Yeah, I think one of the things that Bruce does really, really well, we were just talking about this before we started going live, is these are very emotional topics. Paying off your home is is a very emotional thing for people. I want at some point, hopefully Bruce can speak on this because, again, he does it so well. But I think that's a lot of the attraction to these kinds of systems um, is that it it is it, it would feel great to not have that payment going out each month. That's There's no doubt about it. Um, so I think the emotional aspect, you know, we're going to talk about a lot, some of the emotional aspect today, some of the analytical aspect of it today as well, and some of the other things that, that come up with these uh, situations. But I think those are true, really, really important areas to, to be aware of is that this is emotional for people. And sometimes, you know, when we're emotional, we don't always make the most rational decisions. Uh, and I'm guilty of that myself. So I think that's really important to, to highlight. Yeah, Riley, that's really good. And, and um, you know, because I am quite a bit older than you two, I think I've actually lived this experience. And I don't even think people know where this whole idea of paying off your house comes from. Um, it actually comes from, in my opinion, from the Great Depression. Because during the Great Depression, one of the problems was that the banks did not have enough, uh, did not have enough money for the run on the bank. So people wanted, they were afraid banks were going to collapse. So they actually went to get their money out of the bank. And because of fractional reserve banking, the, the, not all the money was there. So what happened then back then, and I'm talking in general now because there were different types of loans, but back then um, banks were for homes, they were giving out five year renewable loans. So they would give out a five year uh, loan and they were callable at any time. So they would give out the loan. Let's just say it was $5,000 for a $5,000 home at that time. And um, every five years they would renegotiate the loan, but it was callable there at any time. So that meant is meant if, if at any time a banker wanted to, he could go to you and say, I need the balance of the, of the loan right now. I need the, the $4,000. And of course it was backed by your home. And the banker needed the money because everybody was coming to the bank to get their money. So there was a run on the bank. I don't know if people understand what that means. Basically you run to the bank to get your money out. Yep. Um, and then they didn't have that. So they had to go out to where the only place they could get money 
and it was a contract, so it wasn't illegal to do this, and go to the, to the loan holders and say, we need our money. Well, of course, people had the loan because they didn't have the money. So then the bank, by law, by contract, said, okay, then we need, we need your house so we can sell it to get the money to pay off the loan. And a lot of people say, well, that's terrible. Well, no, it's contract. We always talk about contract. The bank did nothing wrong. And so what happened now, and the reason I'm telling you all this backstory is, my father was born in 1939. So his father was born in 1908, I believe it was. And he lived through the Great Depression. So he instilled in my father, don't owe anybody anything or they'll, they'll take it from you. Mm-hmm. However, through the, through the crash of 1929 and this banking, we, we had banking regulations that changed. And these banking regulations then said, as long as you're making your payment, you cannot have the bank come and get your house. So that whole thing has actually changed. But those beliefs and those emotionals, those deep-seated uh, fears have been passed on from generation to generation to generation. And as recently as the late 70s, early 80s, which was when I became an adult, and I can remember home loans being anywhere between 18 and 21%, well then obviously people were, would have a, an idea that I don't want to pay that amount of money for a long period of time. So then that even, that even uh, intensified the emotion to it. But now as interest rates have been driven down, you have to really look at this in a logical way and recognizing that some people will never get over that emotion. And I tell my clients all the time, if you can't get over the emotion, then pay your house off. <laughs> you know, just, right. just do it. I, I can't help it. And, they, and they, they almost, some of my clients even apologize to me. They'll say, I know I shouldn't be do this, do this, but I need to. And I'm really honest with them. I said, I know. That's why I'm going to help you pay your house off. That's excellent. And Bruce, there's so many pieces that we're going to pull back together from that. What is the safest way to to pay off your house? And if the emotional decision makes you sleep better at night, then make the decision that is in congruence with your belief system, your emotions. Don't do something that's just purely logical. We cannot, we're not purely logical beings. Mm -hmm. We're not robots. So at the same time, we want to provide you with information to be able to make educated decisions. And what's really interesting, Bruce, is you talk about the banking element. There's something that comes up as very confusing between velocity banking and infinite banking. And part of it is that whole idea of, well, let's get rid of the need for banks and storing our cash in a bank. Let's take over the banking function and somehow have a way of managing our cash that we put our money into something that's not at the bank that I can then pull the money out of that and I am my own banker in some way, shape or form. So you have infinite banking, you have velocity banking, and there's that overlap of banking and taking over the banking function. So that can lead to confusion about what even is the difference between these two things when they sound really similar. The other thing that I see is coming up that is uh, an emotional element that just drives me crazy is when I see people saying, well, one way of handling your money is more 
moral and ethical and righteous and somehow you're a better person or you're more godlike or you're you're doing what god wants you to do if you handle your money a certain way but not if you do it a different way as if the as if sometimes i see people use god almost as a mascot for their belief system in how they should handle money and honestly it makes me so frustrated and the reason is that i see people being manipulated or guilted into doing things a certain way because they think well if i do things a different way or if i go against the grain of what this person is saying i must be somehow unrighteous or i'm i'm doing something unmoral immoral and unethical and somehow god wouldn't approve of this financial strategy and so when somebody in any position. Honestly, when I see a politician say, it's because I'm a strong Christian that you should vote for me. When I hear a person saying, you should invest with me because I'm a Christian. When you see anybody saying, hey, here's me, and now I'm using God as this, almost a mascot that is like, well, I'm going to hold God up in front of me and say that whatever I do, God backs everything that I do. I think that's honestly very arrogant. And it's also extremely manipulative. And so we certainly want to make sure that you are able to read behind that and understand really the decision you're making and not feel guilted into making a particular financial choice just because it seems like the better, better moral decision to make. So all of that being said, I want to say something really, really important. And if you hear nothing else on this show today, we're going to probably say that a couple times as well. But if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear something really important. We are not anti-line of credit. We are not anti-HELOC. In fact, infinite banking is something we talk about. Infinite banking and privatized banking, those are the same thing. We talk about that being the and asset meaning it's not the one and only magic solution that is the only financial strategy you'll ever need. We're talking about it being in conjunction with other investments and other strategies as well. Now, a HELOC or a line of credit can be extremely wise to have as a place that you can tap for the need for capital. However, it is not the ideal strategy that it does not put you in a position of safety. It is not the ideal way to be in control to pay off debt as safely as possible. And that's what we're going to highlight today. Do you guys want to say anything else to bring additional clarity to our position on HELOCs and lines of credit? If I only had, I said this before, but if I only had one word to share about this entire topic, it would be that word, control. And asking yourself, if you're listening to this or watching this, how much control do you have and who is in control? Is it you or the bank? And I think that's, it's a very important part to start to dissect and it can get complex. But to me, one word, control. Absolutely. That's perfect. So let's talk about what are the assumptions behind velocity banking that we see as being rooted in scarcity, which is not a position and perspective of abundance and creation and production. And these are things that people would almost take as a given or just accepted if you go down the, tra the trajectory and the path of thinking that velocity banking is the right strategy, then you would have to believe all of these elements. And I'll just highlight a few, but we want to really dig into these for a second. One is that being debt-free is top priority. One is that putting equity in your house is the best place to save cash and the best way to tap into it is a HELOC. And another 
um, almost given if you want to accept velocity banking ideals is that I should be debt free. I should pay off debt as quickly as possible. Another one is that interest doesn't matter, which honestly they speak on both sides of that as well. Let's dissect and dig into these a little bit deeper. So first, Bruce, I know you ask this question often. Why do you want to have your mortgage paid off in the first place? Can you kind of speak to that as we're talking about these scarcity-based assumptions? Yeah, it's, once again, this is based in, I believe it's based in emotion um, because uh, a person says, well, I just want to have this paid off because I'm paying interest. And as Nelson Nash has ingrained in my mind um, over the last 12 years, he says, you're always paying interest. You're either paying the interest or you're giving up the interest you could have earned on that particular amount of money. So people believe that if they pay off their house more quickly, that they will, it'll be a safer situation because they, they can always have a place to live. They don't have to make that mortgage payment. Now, what's interesting about this is, is that in itself could be thought of as being true. Obviously, if you do not have a mortgage payment and you lose your job, it would be easier. It would be easier to um, <clears throat> live because you don't have to make that mortgage payment. There's, there's no doubt about that. But what's interesting is that in the process, though, in that time period, which most velocity banking people uh, uh, seem to espouse around seven years. Like it, you can do this in seven years. Some say a little less, some say a little more. And oh, I've by the way- I've seen 10.8, but it's definitely shorter than a 30-year mortgage. Correct. And what's interesting about all this is that that is true if everything goes perfectly over those seven or 10 years. Everything goes perfectly. And what I find also interesting, because Dr. Bob Murphy, who we had on the show, and, and everybody knows we, we follow him as an economist, he always says, you know, a major recession comes about every 10 years. So you are going to have to have some good timing here because um, you are actually putting yourself at a lot more risk of, uh, by, by storing your money in a place, assuming your, your uh, equity is going uh, down as you put this in, um, you're actually putting yourself at a more of a risk um, by, by doing this velocity banking inside the walls of your home, even though what you're trying to accomplish is less risk or even no risk in your mind. Um, so people really are doing it because I believe they're doing it. When I talk to all the thousands of people I've talked to over my career, is they're doing it to minimize the risk, but that process of getting there actually increases the risk. And we, and if you'd like, Rachel, why don't we just start on what are some of those increased risks? Let's factors? go ahead. Yeah. So, what are some of the increased risks? And I'm going to just point out, Bruce, what you're saying. So, somebody is who wants to pay off their house as quickly as possible is thinking, when I get to that point that my house is paid off, then I have lowered my risk. Mm -hmm, now, right. what is that point? Maybe it's seven years, maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's 15. What about the time frame, the timeline from now until that payoff date? What can happen? And this is exactly your question, Bruce. What can happen in that time frame from today until your payoff date if you have raced to pay off the debt? If you have 
thought, any liability means I'm in debt and I have to pay off this debt as quickly as possible. And every spare dollar I have in any way, shape or form is going to remove that liability, pay off that debt. That means I have no cash going into assets at that time. It means I'm chunking down my financial life to today's time frame from now until I have paid off that debt is all about getting rid of liabilities. It's, it's uh, digging out of the hole that I'm in because somehow I'm negative with these liabilities and I need to get back to zero. And then I can, at that point in time where my debt's paid off, now I'm safer and now I can start building assets. So it's this chunk, chunking your financial life mindset. So what, again, are some more of those risks? Not only can you not build assets at the time that you're paying off the liabilities, what are some more of those risks? And I know, Riley, you have several things that you probably want to share there as well. Yeah, I mean, to me, at the end of the day, um, all great points. And maybe I'll just quickly speak on, you know, when we have money in our house, in the four walls of our house, it's not that that's bad. And you've already done a good job of saying, hey, we're not saying that paying off your home is a bad thing or that having a line of credit is a bad thing. But how many jobs are those dollars doing for us? You know, I think one of the things we've all been told at some point in our lives or just society has been told is that in order to become financially successful, you've got to grow this really, really large number or a nest egg, whatever it is that you want to call it, or chase a rate of return. And that's how we determine financial success. Well, you know, the thing, some of the things that we talk about with our prospects and our clients are the velocity of money, you know, money constantly moving produces more wealth and therefore more time. And I see the, how that resonates with people. That I'm just going to interrupt you for a quick second. Hold your thought. Velocity of money. Be, I want to be very clear is not the same thing as velocity banking. So velocity of money means money is moving. The only way you can do that. It does not mean I have to use velocity banking to have velocity of money. So correct. Clear, just clearing that point. Go ahead, Riley. Maybe I should say money and constant motion. Maybe that's a better, better way to say it. Um, but that is what truly produces the most amount of wealth for people. If that's their goal, if that is something that's important to them, cause it does produce the most time as well. But to me, when I see people paying off their home in whatever way they're doing it, that's the question that I like to ask. And I know you both do as well Is how many jobs are those dollars doing for you? And to me, if it's only doing one job, you know, the wealth eroding factors, the things that are constantly eroding our wealth, they don't sleep, they don't eat, they don't need time for relationships like we do. They're constantly working against us. So the more that we can multiply our money and have those dollars do more than one job, the more productive we're going to be as human beings. Riley, I love that you said that because if, again, I'm here today and I don't know if my timeline's moving the right way, a timeline would, I think the camera's reversed, but I'm just going to stick with the same direction for clarity's sake here. So here's today, here's my payoff date, whatever day, say I make that seven years, 10 years out. If my dollars are doing only one job from now until that payoff date, and the only one job that they're doing is paying off my liabilities, getting out of debt, if you will, then I don't have the ability to put my dollars to work for me during that time. The only thing I'm focused on is paying off the mortgage. One of the greatest risks that I see happening during that time frame is that I don't have extra cash flow because cash flow is more money that you make than what you spend. Here's the income coming in. Here's the expenses that I have going out. And if there's a gap between the two, that's cash flow. But if I use all my cash flow and I put that towards paying off a liability, that's not 
cash flow to build savings. I'm instead using all my cash flow for the purpose of paying off the liability and the loan and the debt. And so what that means then is all my cash is going into the four walls of the house. If you think about where the money is landing, that means all my cash is in the four walls of the house. Is that a safe position or not? Well, there's the assumption that I can use a HELOC to tap into that cash and I will always indefinitely forever have access to the equity in my house. But here's the thing. If you don't already have a HELOC right now, you may not necessarily be able to qualify and get one. If you have loss of income or not having the ability to repay. If you do have a current HELOC, that line of credit can be frozen and it has been in the past. And we'll, we'll provide links in the show notes. Several HELOCs were frozen during 2008 crisis. There's several places where you cannot get a HELOC currently right now with current banks. So if you currently have a HELOC, you may not be able to access the equity in your house. HELOC limits have been reduced for various reasons. So just because you may have an open $100,000 HELOC on your house does not mean that in 30 days or two weeks or whenever you decide you want to access that, that debt inside of your house and you want to borrow against the equity in your house, whenever you want to do that, that doesn't mean it's going to be available for you. So if you're storing the equity in the four walls of the house, thinking a HELOC is the best way to get it out, I can always access my money with a HELOC. That is not a true statement. The other way to access it is a line of, I'm sorry, a loan or selling your house. Neither of those may be good options and you may not be able to do either of those either. So just the fact that your money is in the four walls of the house does not guarantee you access to get that money. You also can have a reduction of the value of your house and if that happens, your equity then is shrunk. There's also the point that equity does not grow. It does not appreciate. It does not have a rate of return attached to it and that your appreciation is independent of equity in your house. Bruce, can you explain that independent, um, that equity is independent of, sorry, that appreciation yes, is independent I, I, of yeah. equity? <clears throat> yes, I, I know where you're going. Um, before I go there, let me, you know, Rachel said that we're going to provide links about frozen HELOCs. I don't need to provide a link. In 2008, the founder of our agency here in St. Louis, who was using a HELOC out of his house as an emergency, as emergency cash and an opportunity fund for the business, uh, had a $150,000 line on his house. And I want everybody to listen to this very closely. And this is by contract again. So a HELOC has a, is a contract and it says it in these HELOCs. So he had 150000 He had $36,000 on the HELOC. When 2008 happened and all the, all the, uh, the housing problems and the, uh, the equity in the homes, everybody's houses were going down in value, so the equity's going down, the bank, a major bank, called him and said, if you pay, and, and I want you to listen to this very carefully to show you how important this is to the banks. If you pay off the $36,000 right now, we will discount that by $12,000. So he only had to pay $24,000. And he, and he was smart enough. He said, okay, but if I do that, are you going to close the line? And they said, well, yes, but by the way, we are reducing the line to $36,000 right now anyway. You, you no longer have the additional up to 150000 So you may as well go ahead and do that, pay off the 
$1,000 because we're discounting it by $12,000. Now, he was smart enough to know that the $24,000 in his control was more important than the hundred and I think it was like $120 a month he was paying towards the HELOC. So he did not do it. And a lot of people think, oh, yeah, well, he's crazy. He just lost $12,000. No, because the $24,000 at that time was more important for him to pay his employees mm-hmm. their salaries to keep his employees on. You're saying the 24000 he currently had in his own pocket, that if he would have followed what the bank was saying to do, would have gone to the bank and that $24,000 would have evaporated and done him nothing. Well, he had twenty-four. He, he no longer had the twenty-four thousand, and he no longer had the hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of line of credit. So he was he was out total control of this. So I think a that's a example power, of yeah, how I'm, I'm it's saying, not a guarantee. That's not, that's not even a link. That's something that yeah. I, my business partner I'm side by side with mm-hmm. living this in two thousand eight. Wow. Um, and and I also had a home in California at that time. So this is what Rachel was asking about um, as far as the um, equity. Um, the appreciation happens inside your home whether you have a, a loan on it or not. And then you also lose equity whether you have a loan on it or not. So just take side-by-side homes, side-by-side homes exactly the same. And so one has a, uh, a loan on it. Let's just say it's, it's a $400,000 home. It has a $200,000 mortgage, so it has $200,000 of equity in it. The other one has no uh, loan on it, so it has $400,000 of equity. If, if both of them appreciate in value, then if it goes up at 100000 over a couple years, then yes, the home with no loan has now has five hundred. dollars The house with 200000 now has $300,000 of equity. But but it, the appreciation did not have anything to do. It was still a hundred thousand, whether it had a loan against it or not. But the difference the difference here is what happened in two thousand eight, and I and I witnessed this in California. And and by the way, as, as we're recording this, um, we are in this coronavirus <clears throat> crisis, and I've, I've been reading a lot of information about people are not going to be able to pay their mortgages. And then when mm-hmm. people don't pay their mortgages, it's going to be very similar to 2008, where the people are going to be foreclosed upon. When whenever you foreclose, you sell houses. The banks sell houses at a discount. Yes. One of the reasons they sell them at the, at the discount is because they're not in the mortgage or the real estate business, but also because there's a glut of homes. It's supply and demand. There's more homes on the market. So if there's more homes on the market to get rid of, then the buyer has the advantage. Because if you don't take his offer over here, they can go over here and buy it. It's basic economics. The so, bank's only concerned about making themselves whole. That's, that's exactly all they care right. about. That's exactly right. So they, and because any equity actually goes back to the consumer. A lot of people don't yeah. know that. It goes back to consumers. So yes. just think about this. If, if these two identical houses are 400000 and they go downward, then the bank is going to be able to foreclose on the one that can't make its payment. And that is the velocity banking philosophy. They say, well, look at this. Now I'm safe over here because I don't have one. But let's say we didn't get all the way to zero in the process. And that's what, and that's what I'm talking clarify, about. Just to clarify, Bruce, so you're saying velocity banking's premise is that you're safer 
that you don't have one, you don't have a mortgage. That's you don't have a mortgage, so they can't foreclose on you. So that, but let's say we didn't get all the way to zero on the one on the left hand side here. Let's say there's still fifty thousand or a hundred thousand, and this one has two hundred thousand. Well, what what we found in California is the banks were more willing to work with this person over here that had two hundred thousand dollar mortgage. They had more this debt. One, they yeah. right because they want to get rid of this debt. Okay, they're more willing to work with them in a modification program to modify their monthly payment. This one over here, because they can only sell those $400,000 homes now for $200,000. Well, this one still had $200,000 debt. So after all their fees and stuff of selling it, they're actually going to lose money. Yeah. This one over here, though, only has a $100,000 mortgage on it. So they, can, they actually will foreclose on this one. And it was proven out in California and on the East Coast during the, during the crisis. This happened to people. They would work with people that, have a, that didn't have much equity and they would foreclose on people that had equity. And there's nothing in the contracts that say they have to do it because they, they can decide who they want to modify and who they don't want to modify. Now, in a down, down market, is it easier to sell a home for 50000 or is it easier to sell a home for 200000 in a down market? Right. And that's all the bank, like you say, is concerned about, yeah. making themselves whole. Absolutely. So, so that's, that's the whole thing you have to worry about. Once again, I'm not saying velocity banking doesn't have a good premise once you get there. But and you're really exposing yourself along the way. You're Absolutely. really exposing yourself along the way. And part of the, that exposure is that you're in a position where your, your goal has been to pay off debt and your result is that all your money is inside the four walls of your house, which you're not guaranteed to be able to access because the line of credit can be reduced, can be frozen, it can be taken away from you, and you may not be able to, um, and you're not in a position where just having the equity causes your money to grow. It does not, equity does not cause, having equity in the house does not cause a higher rate of return inside of your house. The other thing is that there's a, another assumption. We kind of have talked about what are the risks during that time frame from now until the debt payoff date. The other thing that I want to highlight, though, that is a scarcity-based assumption that Velocity Banking makes is that interest rates are the most important element in one breath. They say, we don't want to pay high interest. We want to save as much interest as possible, which is the reason to pay off your loans as quickly as possible, in their words. However, then you sh they say you should do anything to pay less interest. However, we're going to talk about next, we're going to move over to what exactly velocity banking does that puts you in a scarier, riskier financial position. But when you use a HELOC, you are in a variable interest rate, which is higher than a regular mortgage, which has an open-ended ability to continue to rise. So I'm going to leave that there just for a second. Because what I want to say is this solution to these scarcity-based assumptions that Velocity Banking makes is then to be in a position where you can focus on being confident and having peace of mind and having 
security and guarantees for the future. And that is what infinite banking does provide. Now, infinite banking, just in case you have gotten this far in the show and maybe have not seen the show that we've done before, infinite banking, we should probably explain what that actually is. That is using a high cash value, specially designed whole life insurance policy with a mutual company that pays dividends. I know that's a huge mouthful and a lot of parts that I've just shared. But what happens is you're using a whole life policy with a special design that allows you to accelerate and have high early cash value, which that cash value is kind of like equity in a house. It is money that you can use. That cash value does not drop in value. It always grows with dividends and or with interest. It always grows with interest and it also grows with non-guaranteed but highly likely dividends, even if you leverage against it. And having your cash in a positive savings position like infinite banking, like using a cash value life insurance policy with infinite banking puts you in a much better position because now you have positive equity. You have an asset that you can tap into and use that does put you in control. And so the reason we say that that is an abundance based perspective is that now you're in a position where you can have options and you do have control. Now, we can go ahead and uh, we're going to articulate and, and parse this out a little bit further as we go, but let's talk about now the precarious financial position that Velocity Banking puts you into. And a few things that we want to highlight throughout this, just so you can get an idea of where we're going, is that there's an assumption that a HELOC is safer than a traditional mortgage. There's also this idea that you're always going to be able to access the equity in a HELOC where in fact that's not true because you have a, um, I can't remember the term for it, the draw period. And then after the draw period, you have a repayment period. We want to highlight that. We also want to talk about the growing or the increasing interest rate on a HELOC. And the fact that, um, I think those are the main things. Oh, and how much money you have to put into the HELOC, not just pay the minimum. So we're going to talk about a few of these things as we talk as we discuss here now how velocity banking puts you in a precarious financial position. So I'll start off by saying what's interesting about a HELOC versus a mortgage. And um, Bruce and Riley, you guys can chime in on this as well. So what I learned as first I was trying to understand what is velocity banking and how could it possibly be better? It it had me hooked at one point thinking, okay, well maybe a HELOC is actually better than having a mortgage because it builds equity faster and with the same payment, possibly could I actually pay off my house sooner and then be able to use my money otherwise. And then in additional research and playing with the numbers myself and really figuring out what this actually meant, I understood something that we all have come to this understanding and awareness that if you switch out your mortgage and instead refinance into a first lien or first, first position HELOC, which is not a second position HELOC, which most people are thinking of as a second mortgage or a line of credit after your mortgage, but a first position HELOC can be instead of your mortgage. What happens is you first have a interest only period that is the draw period. Now, if your HELOC in total is say a 30 year HELOC with a 10 year draw period, you have a 10 year span of time where you have interest only payments and during that time, you can access the equity. After the draw period, you no longer can access the equity and then from that point until the end of the HELOC is a repayment period, which requires full principal and interest payments. There is a fixed principal payment during that repayment 
but there's variable interest. And the reason it's variable is because the interest rate is not locked in. You have to pay more, uh, a higher interest rate to be able to lock it in, but your interest amount can rise during that repayment period. So what this means, big picture, if I just step all of that back and rewind for a second, what that means is I cannot say a HELOC versus a mortgage and I'm putting in the same equal dollar amount in cash to both of them and the HELOC is gonna work out better. The only way the HELOC can work out better is if I use a repayment strategy where I pour in all of my extra cash flow every single month into that HELOC. So what that means is that the HELOC's not better than a mortgage. The velocity banking strategy of paying a ton of extra money into my house is what pays it off faster. It's not the HELOC itself. Then we can break all of that down. We can talk about 15 versus 30. We can talk about extra payments. There's a lot we can break down here, but um, you guys go ahead. Well, Rachel, actually, uh, many of the, the, the uh, disciples of velocity banking will actually say, um, and they actually will show you that, hey, we're paying additional money into our HELOC strategy, and you could just do it by paying additional money to your principal every month. They're, they actually say this, and they, and they actually do comparisons, and some of them actually admit, yeah, you could probably just pay it off as fast without a HELOC, which means you would, you would uh, eliminate some of the um, risk with a HELOC. Uh, but the point you're also making is that the HELOC typically has a 10-year period where you can access it, and then it becomes a note after that where you have to pay principal and interest. Um, the velocity banking disciples would say, yeah, but you can, all, you can renegotiate. You, can re you could go back and get another HELOC and do that. They do the same thing with 0% interest credit cards. They say, um, we can just you know, you have 0% for two years or three years. After that, you can just go back and renegotiate again. Well, what happens if you can't renegotiate? That, that, that's, a big, um, that's a big risk, I believe, another risk. And I guess the, the last thing, and then I'm let Riley jump in here for a second. <clears throat> the more we talk about on this podcast, we understand that there are gonna be people that are on the, the velocity banking side emotionally, and you probably should have left our podcast a long time ago because, because we would have never, we would have never, um, we're never gonna change your, your mind emotionally. And then we have all our clients that really like control that the infinite banking uh, gives you, and plus all the other things it gives you. It gives you a wonderful death benefit. It can give you um, disability um, um, insurance on that. It can give you long-term care insurance, all these other things it can do for you. We're talking about the people that are, trying, are sitting on the fence here, and we know this is a lot to digest. And so we welcome any kind of questions on this, and we're probably going to do, have to do multiple shows on this to digest everything. So, Riley, you've been sitting there listening. What other things do you think you could add to this? I think it's really key because Rachel said what, one of the things when I started researching this was I, I realized that this wasn't an apples to apples comparison. I, I think that was the biggest aha moment for me. It was like, well, it's kind of like, you know, if I'm running a, a 200 meter dash and I run it in 30 seconds and then I've got an opponent who runs a, six, uh, a 400 meter dash, so double the distance, but he does it in double the time in 60 seconds. I can't say that I was faster than my opponent because we have two different ways to measure. Uh, it was a, a longer distance for my opponent. 
And that's really what I see, whether it's a 15 versus a 30-year mortgage or piling in extra money in the form of this HELOC, this velocity banking strategy is if you want to pay off your mortgage quickly, that's great. But there's probably a, a safer way and more efficient way to do it. And what we typically see is that if you just simply save the extra payments, whether it's the difference between a 30 and a 15 year payment, or if it's just simply the extra cash flow that people are putting into this velocity banking strategy, you can actually still pay it off in the same amount of time or maybe sometimes even quicker. And you've maintained control and access to that capital the entire time, Rachel, as you mentioned in that timeline that you're talking about. So that's what I see. And then the other thing is just the bang for your buck. You know, it's great to pay off the home, but again, those dollars are doing one job and only providing one benefit as opposed to a properly structured whole life policy, as Bruce just mentioned, gives you so many other benefits and it's part of an overall strategy as opposed to a tunnel vision approach of just having all of your debt gone. And to me, that's what I see. Apples to apples comparison is not what they're doing. And then if it increases your money supply, it should also increase the overall benefits that you have in your life. And you know, I'm not saying that it can't do that, but a, a policy, whole life policy does that for you from day one. You know, it's really interesting, Riley. I actually took some numbers on what you had shared with the 15 versus 30 year mortgage because yeah. I wanted to make this point. We have seen that if your goal really is to say, I want to pay off my house as fast as possible, Riley, as you just mentioned, Bruce, as you've said earlier in the show as well, what's the safest way to do that? Well, if traditional mortgage paying the minimum payment pays it off in, say, 30 years as a 30-year mortgage would, if a 30-year HELOC would pay off your house in 30 years with, let's see, a higher interest rate that's open-ended and possibly could change, a smaller payment now, which feels really nice during the draw period and I can access my cash. And then, oh, by the way, after that point in time, now I have a higher payment and the interest is unstable and could continue to rise because and the reason um, that interest can continue to rise is that it is connected to the prime rate and the federal funds rate, which prime rate right now is 325 percent as of May 1st. That's a historic low. It has been as high as 21.5% in the 80s. So if interest rates rise, the interest rate on your HELOC would continue to rise. So here I have the 30-year mortgage that I know I'm going to pay off in 30 years. Here's the HELOC that if I don't put any extra payments into, I'm going to still pay that off in 30 years. Right. So what could I do if I wanted to pay it off safer and faster? Riley, you're talking about instead of shortening the mortgage time frame, instead of saying even HELOC versus mortgage, or instead of saying 15-year um, mortgage versus 30-year mortgage, we're just saying, okay, what if, I mean, there's so many comparisons we can make, but what Give if- Give yourself said, the permission to have the longest time to pay it off. Yes. And now have the ability, if it is important to you to pay it off sooner, you can still do that. Yes. So I'll, I'll share these numbers and I know I kind of took a little bunny trail there. So say you have a $500,000 house and you have a 30-year mortgage, which is going to be say at 3.25% interest or a 15-year mortgage at 2.625. Those are rates that are common right about now if you have a good credit score. Mm -hmm. The 30-year mortgage is going to have a monthly payment of 2176 and 3 cents. 
the 15-year mortgage is going to have a $3,363.45 per month payment. What that means is that the 15-year mortgage has a lower interest rate. The bank is incentivizing you with the lower interest rate, but the payment is $1,187.42 more every month than what you'd pay on the 30-year mortgage. So what you can think of is, yes, I can pay off my mortgage in 15 years if I get this lower interest rate and I have this super higher payment, or what if, and this is Riley to your point, this is just an illustration to um, parse this out, what if I take the 30-year mortgage, I pay the $2,176 payment, and I take that extra $1,187 that would have been going to the 15-year mortgage, and instead of paying a 15-year mortgage, I keep the 30-year mortgage, and I take that extra cash, my cash flow, and I put that over in a side fund. Now, for in all intents and purposes, we want to say, what if that side fund was cash value of life insurance? And what if the growth rate on that, which we're seeing right now between 3 and 5%, if we look at a 20-year time span, what if that was 4% after tax? In that case, you would actually be able to pay off your house when that side fund, the cash value in your life insurance policy, became high enough that it equaled the remaining balance on your 30-year mortgage. And at this, with this exact example, that would be at 14 years and 7 months. What that means then is that, and I can give you the numbers here, but your side fund balance would be $316,913. Your mortgage balance would be $316,314. So that's why it's sufficient to be able to cover the remaining balance on the mortgage. The point is that you've made, Riley and Bruce, that all along, instead of putting the extra dollars into the mortgage and having to be able to ask the bank for permission to get my money out of the, the equity in the house, I have my money in a side account with a life insurance policy where I have guaranteed access through contractual guarantees where I can use that cash either through withdrawal or through a policy loan. So I've, I'm able to then pay off the house more quickly and I was in control all, of, all along the way. I think a key question too, Rachel, is, you know, as our listeners uh, hear this is turn this equation around for a second. If you were the owner of the bank, what would you want? Would you want to get your money back from your client, from the borrower, as quickly as possible or as slowly as possible? And so I think that's a really powerful question. And, you know, there's four rules. We don't have to go over them today, but that's one of those rules is the bank wants their money as quickly as possible. And the velocity banking strategy, again, not saying it's bad or evil or anything like that, but you're playing into those four rules of financial institutions. And quite frankly, playing right into the hands of banks. You're making them safer and them more secure as opposed to you. Yes, very well said, Riley. What are the four rules of the bank, if you wouldn't mind sharing all of those? Yeah, they, they want your money, number one. Number two is on a consistent or systematic basis. Number three is for as long as possible. And number four, when you go to get your money, they want to give it back to you as slowly as possible and in the smallest amounts possible. And that fourth rule is really what we're talking about today when you maybe can't get access to that equity that you built up. Absolutely. So <clears throat> Riley, I think uh, you've heard me say this before for the listeners to even simplify that even more. If, um, if 30 year rates are at 3.25 right now, which they are, cause I just helped somebody refinance the other day, a client. And then the 15 year rates, Rachel were what? 2.1. Um, I think I found 2.625. And again, yeah, that was if you had a high credit score. Right. But, but the fact of the matter, everybody knows that 15-year rates or 10-year rates are lower. 
And if banks and mortgage companies are in the business of making money, which I know they are, and I don't, I don't say that's bad, then why do they incent us to pay off our mortgage faster by lowering the interest rate, thus they make less money? Well, the, the, the answer to that, cash flow. the answer to that is yes, they get more cash flow today when that money is worth more today. It won't be worth as much in 30 right. years because of inflation. That's great. So point. cash flow, cash flow is the lifeblood of not, not even every business of everybody. Your personal economy is about cash flow. So if you can increase cash flow, then you actually are come out ahead. And that's what banks are doing when they are either A, um, getting more by lowering the term from 15 or 10, or heck, I've seen some people squash it all the way down to seven or, or five, or they, uh, you, you, you decrease cash flow because of velocity banking. You, you throw more into it. What we're trying to do is also decrease cash flow by saying, hey, pay your mortgage normally, put that other money somewhere else. Of course, that's not in your regular cash flow, right? If you save it to a savings account or if you save it to a specially designed life insurance policy or if you save it in your mattress, that's not increasing your cash flow. However, if something comes up, you now have control of your savings account, your specially designed life insurance, or, the, or your mattress money. So you have control over here. That is what really is the difference in philosophy. If you're trying to decide between one or the other, which one is going to help you, you need to say to yourself, which one is going to help me when I most need it? And when I most need it is when, when life gets in the way. <laughs> yes. I say that all the time to my clients. We're going to prepare you for when life gets in the way. Well, if this coronavirus situation doesn't prove to people that life gets in the way, out of the blue, by the way, you know, nobody saw this coming, then I think you would be able to make a, a better decision. Now, now, the argument on the other side, people would say, well, yeah, but if I have my house paid off, I'd be even in a better situation. And that's a true statement. But the part of that statement that is risky is if I had my house paid off or as I'm going towards paying off my house, what happens in that time period? Because I'm telling you, I've had clients in 2008. I've been in the business long enough. I was in 2008 when this happened to people. And they had a 15-year loan and they couldn't make that payment. But they, they took a part-time job or they got their hours cut so they could have made a payment of a 30-year, but they couldn't make it a 15. Mm -hmm. and, and they went through foreclosure uh, situations or modification situations. And it's just not a fun situation to be out of control. I think it's not a fun situation to be out of control in any aspect of your life. <laughs> I think people, we're not just talking about money. We're talking about any aspect of your life. You know, I think there's so many pieces that we could pull together. We've really touched on a lot today. What I do want to say is we've mentioned this word control so many different times. And what exactly do we mean by control? We mean that you're in a position where you have access to cash. You can get to it for emergencies or for opportunities. Bruce, you, you just said when life gets in the way, when you need cash, you can access it. The best place to have cash is in savings. 
not in a potential line of credit that you may, well, in a line of credit that you may potentially be able to access and use. So you want to be in a position where you know you have access to cash. You also want it to not drop in value, meaning that it's safe. Now, safe is kind of a tricky word in the financial world. Guarantees is a little bit of a tricky word as well. However, with cash value life insurance, your money is guaranteed to not drop in value. The same way that if you had your money in the bank, it's not going to turn from your savings account. It's not going to go from $100 down to $90 unless you took money out. Now, you could say the purchasing power dropped and so my dollars are worth less. And that is a true argument. We could go down that, that trajectory as well. However, if you're getting a higher growth rate on your safe money than inflation, you're not going to lose purchasing power. And you're in a position where that money is not going to drop in value. You can access it and use it. That means it's liquid. And then is it growing fast enough to outpace inflation? So when you look at those markers of safety, liquidity, and growth, that's what puts you in a position of control. Now, cash value life insurance does that because your cash value is safe, liquid, and growing at the most competitive rate that we've seen in a um, tax, it, it's a, a post-tax growth rate as well that we're talking about, in addition to being able to, whole new concept here, spoiler alert here, but this is a way to continue to earn interest even while you always pay interest to use cash no matter where you get that cash from. So within equity, equity doesn't grow, equity doesn't have a rate of return, but cash value inside your life insurance policy does have a rate of return. There's a growth rate attached to that. And so your money continues to grow, which is why infinite banking allows you to earn money in two places at the same time. So not only does it put you in a position of control, it also gives you the upper hand and a, a unique advantage to be able to move forward and accelerate your path and your growth towards building whatever your version of time and money freedom looks like because of that control. So as we try to bring this to a close, we can, we certainly, I think, could dig deeper on any one of the potential or any one of the risks and the things that Velocity Banking puts you in this precarious position. We've touched on everything today. Is there anything that you guys feel we need to clarify or make more apparent today on this particular show so that we can leave closure in our now, listeners' minds? <clears throat> Rachel, I think um, as I look at one of my, I would consider mentors, you know, Simon Sinek, <clears throat> he says, don't, don't necessarily give people what you think they need, listen to them and give them what they want. So I think we've done, we've done a good job of expressing today what we've heard from our clients about what they're wondering about velocity banking or, or is that good? Should I do that? Should I pay off my house and do that? I think what would be good now is we kind of wrap this seg segment up with kind of an introductory level and then look for the comments from the podcast and then do a follow-up uh, podcast about the questions that people are still having uh, on this concept. And that's probably the best way that for us to serve our podcast listeners the best. Absolutely. So I um, will pull together specific comments and questions. Also, if there's any more specific questions that you guys have, through client conversations that you're having in meetings as well. We'll go ahead and pull that into more like a uh, frequently asked questions or um, question and answer timeframe. And we can go ahead and do a follow on part two with velocity banking versus infinite banking. 
that time frame is yet to be determined. We'll figure out when that's going to be, probably in two weeks. So, Riley, is there anything you wanted to share? Two things, uh, and I've already said this, but just to, again, reiterate, control. At, at the end of the day, I think all this comes down to control, and um, that's the first thing, and asking yourself the question, who really has it? Is it you or the bank? And also, the second thing to reiterate is, it's not that getting your money moving, the equity that you have in your house, velocity banking, maybe could be a good strategy for somebody. And we're not saying it's bad, as we already have already said a couple of times. But when looking at someone's entire financial picture, all these different things that we just discussed and will continue to discuss need to be looked at and some pretty strong and, and blunt questions sometimes need to be asked. So control and uh, a strategy is, is, almost, is always superior to a product. I love it. And principles even come before the strategy. And so yeah. if we look at what you said, strategy is superior to a product, and that's 100% true across the board every single time. And again, infinite banking or velocity banking, this is a strategy, but you have to go back before the strategy. What is the principle? The principle is opportunity seeks liquidity. So how can I be as liquid as possible? How can I have cash and that accessibility to get to cash if I need it? And if I want to buy investments when they're on sale and I don't want to have to go get bank financing or financing or permission from someone else. So you're in a position of control than when you have that liquidity and that, that available capital to work with. And so if that's the principle and the principle is that you pay yourself first and you're in a position where you have access to cash that has guarantees and safety, then the question becomes, what does that best? And I hope that we have, that I'm not asking a rhetorical question. We've clearly articulated and answered that through this show that infinite banking is far superior to velocity banking in terms of following that principle of having liquidity and cash that's always going to be available for you to access and use. So I hope that we have not been unclear in any way. I just wanted to make sure that um, they were tying a bow on that. So today, as we leave this particular episode, we welcome your questions. If you are listening after the recording, please share your questions in the comments. We would love to invite any discussion that you have pros and cons, deep technical questions or philosophical, theoretical, conceptual questions, whatever is on your mind, we would love to be able to answer that in our follow-on episode. And also today, if you have become intrigued about infinite banking and are more interested in finding a way to have that guarantee and the safety and the liquidity and be in a position where you have that control, we would love to be a solution and provide answers for you. We have lots of ways that you can get started. You can directly book on our calendar. I'll put the link in the um, comments section on the live stream and also it will be in the show notes for the podcast. You can book at themoneyadvantage.com slash calendar and that will take you directly to our advisor calendar and that's a 30-minute strategy, strategy session. And that is the ability for you to get clear on what you need to do to get that control in your financial life. If you're not ready for that type of conversation yet, we do have free resources on infinite banking and privatized banking, which is the same thing as infinite banking. And that is available at privatizedbankingsecrets.com. We also have a whole entire course, um, a digital course on infinite banking and what that means and how it works. And so if you are interested in that, that's at privatizedbankingsecrets.com slash course as well. So lots of tools and resources for you. And we look forward to helping you along on your journey. 
Now in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.